the Sabbath, which is the fourth Sabbath since we began the count to Pentecost, which means there are three more left, and then Pentecost is here on June the 9th. So uh, this is the fourth in the count down to seven. <clears throat> Pentecost will be here before you know it. It seems like Passover was just here, and now it's a month in the past. But what's that? Didn't I say the 12th? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I meant Pentecost is the 12th. I'm sorry. I, there's, there's something else happening on the 9th. I guess I, I confused the date in my mind. Sorry about that. Well, we'll start out today imperfect and see if we can improve on that. <laughs> in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, it says that the there abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But he lists those three very, very important issues uh, and then says which is the, the most important, but all three are truly important and are, on the, are the actual basis for all our understanding and our worship. I want to begin to look into that a little bit today. But since he lists faith first <clears throat> among the three, We'll start with that. It is a very, very precious commodity. Uh, Christ even said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? So, we look around today at a world that is so ungodly, it's hard to find God anywhere in the picture anymore. Uh, all kinds of different and varying gods that people have made gods of themselves uh, through self-worship, worship of the earth itself, Mother Gaia they call it, uh, and we have every sin and every perversion and every negative uh, thing in the world that you can name going on. Uh, we don't have a Dr. Phil that uh, talks to people who have been truly successful in their lives and have very wonderful lives that they live and they're up there explaining to him uh, how to live a wonderful life. We have him talking to all kinds of people who have serious problems. And uh, when you look at the news, uh, you see problems. You very rarely hear good news. They don't put good news on, uh, on the news. In fact, there's very little good news to put on the news. <laughs> it's just the bad, the worse, and the worst is what we get. So we're looking at a world that is ruled by Satan the devil, and the Bible clearly says that he is the prince of the power of the air and is the uh, present ruler of this world. So we see that the whole world is worshiping Satan, and very soon now we're going to see a beast power arise out of the sea, out of mankind, that is going to hold forth and rule the whole earth for a short time. It will be an unrighteousness, and it won't last long because God intends to intervene. But we're in a world that doesn't believe in a true God. And those who are so-called Christians don't understand God either. So where do you turn? What do you do? Where do we go from here? 
Everything around you is perverted upside down, backward, and full of murder and hate and bitterness and anger. Uh, Not a world you'd want to live in. We are in a world today where people assume they're going to live 75, 80 years or more on the earth. Do you know what the life expectancy of the American people is now? Have any idea? 74, 75, 77? No, I beg to differ. I don't think so. Any more guesses? Anybody read the statistics? It has dropped. It has. I think the life expectancy for 90% of Americans right now is approximately two years. Two years. Maybe three. But not much more than that. That's not because of a disease that's going around at the moment. That's because we're at the end of the age and this nation is about to be invaded and Americans are going to die, over 90% of them, of famine, pestilence, and disease. So that makes our life expectancy pretty short, doesn't it? I'm not trying to say exactly when this thing's going to hit, but it isn't very long. So if you're 40, you have a life expectancy of 2, 3, 4. Let's, let's, make, let's go way outside here and say 5 years. That, that's it. Unless you're one of the less than 10% that survives what's about to hit. That gives us some stark reality to, to consider. Uh, things are not going to go on as they have been. And in fact, things are getting worse day by day, week by week, and month by month in the world. And there's saber-rattling and uh, war machinations going on and people bluffing and, and uh, trying to rattle their sabers loud enough that others will be afraid. And there are attacks going on and wars and rumors of wars all over the earth, just as Christ said before He would return. So we're in the position that he was discussing when he said, Will I find faith on the earth when I return? He's looking for people of faith. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and discuss, first of all here, what is the basis of faith? If there's nothing around that resembles faith, or very, very little in the end times before Christ returns, where do you start? What is the basis of faith? How do you get there from where you might be? Chapter 11, this is called the faith chapter, just as 1 Corinthians 13 is called the the love chapter. Let's catch a few verses here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, you're hoping for certain things. And faith gives you the undergirding, the substance, you might say. It's a word he uses here. The substance, the basis, the foundation of the things that you hope for. Now, if your hope has no foundation, if it has no substance, if there's nothing to it, then it's, a, it's meaningless hope. It's hope against hope. It's a wish. But there's no real hope there if there's not a, an underlying substance or foundation or basis for it. How good is a house without a foundation? 
It doesn't take very long until different parts of the ground under it begin to sink and shift and move around, and then the house begins to uh, cave in in the middle or, or fall apart uh, because it has no basis, no foundation, no strength to hold it up. So, faith is something that is at the foundation and the basis of whatever you hope for, but it is not seen by any evidence. Faith, in other words, is something that is in your mind, something you believe, hope to believe, want to believe. It is trust, but you don't see it. If I want, a, I want lunch, I might go look in the refrigerator and I see something there that gives me a basis for believing I might have lunch. But faith is something that you hold in your mind and you, you can't grab it, you can't hold it. It's elusive in that sense. So he's saying it's something that is difficult to grasp, to understand, and truly to have. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Now he gives a lot of examples in this chapter of how faith worked, how people reacted, and why they reacted the way that they did. But let's understand in verse 3 some of the basis as a beginning. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Christ is the Word. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, we weren't there when the earth was created, were we? We didn't see it. We didn't watch it happen. We see it here, <clears throat> but not having seen it happen we have to come to grips with and understand how it may have gotten here. Now, some people believe that there's a God who made it. Uh, they don't, most of them follow what that God says. They just think there is one. So their, their basis for following God is just that there must be one somewhere, uh, but I don't know him because I don't follow what he says. Then you have people who come up with these wild theories about how the earth got here. Some great big bang in the universe and all the pieces uh, settled out and this piece here happened to be round and, uh, and uh, where did all the water and everything come from? But it, just, it was just here from something blowing up. Now I've seen things blow up in the past and I've blown things up in the past with firecrackers and dynamite and various things. And you know, when I got done, all I saw was debris and pieces. I, I didn't see anything that uh, looked like something you'd particularly want that came out of a blast. Then others think that, well, something sort of washed up on the shore and slime got on the beach and it began to develop, you know. And they, they put their belief in the development of mankind in that kind of a, an argument. 
because they don't want to admit that there might be a God. But here we see in this word <coughs> that the worlds were framed. A house is framed. It has a builder, a maker. <coughs> so that the things which we see were not made of things which do appear. Uh, they came from the Holy Spirit of God. They came ultimately out of nothing because God created out of bara, to use the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, out of nothingness, that which we see around us. So, he says here that we need to get a clue that faith is based upon understanding that somebody had to create what we see around us. Now, let's go to John 1. We were there just recently going through the book of John, but I want to refer again because of where we are here today. John 1, uh, verse 1, In the beginning, in the creation, the time when things began, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's very clear, as John goes on to explain here, that Christ was the Word of God. The same was in the beginning with God the Father. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Christ was there with the Father when the things that we see around us were created, and without Him nothing was made. And He also imparted life to the things that are made. So, there's intelligence, there are things that move around on the earth, creeping things, walking things, flying things, uh, that had to have been made at some point. Let's go one more, Colossians 1, uh, on this particular thought. Colossians 1 and verse 16. Speaking of Christ, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist." So there are things that we can see with our eyes, hear with our ears. There are things that you can't see. There are all kinds of radio waves, TV waves, uh, different frequencies that are going through the air in this room that we can't see at all. There are spirit beings, angels, demons, that we can't see, unless in some cases very rarely they manifest themselves in a visible form. So, everything that is, was made by Christ. Now, let's see how we got unmoored. Let's see how we got messed up. And going to Romans 1. We look at this world around us, and it is an absolute mess. I don't need to spend two hours describing it. We all can see and understand how bad things are in what we see around us. So let's pick this up in verse 16 of Romans 1. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. So he says the words that Christ spoke, the words that he inspired by the other writers of the Bible that are written down for us, uh, are nothing to be ashamed of because it is through the power of God that is revealed in these words that is makes salvation, eternal life, possible. To everyone that believes. So there has to be a level of belief, a level of understanding, of knowing that there is a God and that He does have a plan to give us salvation. That's what stirs us. That's what motivates us. It makes us want to be Christian when every fiber of our being doesn't want to be Christian. We want to be selfish and do our own thing like the rest of the world is. That's just the way human nature is. So you've got to believe that there is a God. You've got to believe that He can and will give salvation to those who believe in Him and follow Him. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That comes as a quote from Habakkuk 2.4, where Habakkuk himself was questioning in that prophecy, well, where's the God that said He's going to do all these things? Why hasn't He done them yet? Why haven't I seen them? And he began to question God a little bit uh, through that particular time. And he said, the just shall live by faith. And that's what he finally settled on. He said, I haven't seen all the answers yet. I don't know. I know that if you're righteous, if you're just, you will live by faith. And his final conclusion was, I think I'd better sit on my watch, warn people, which he did, and then sit back and wait for God to take care of things. And he says, I know that before it's all over, God will give me dear feet. He'll take care of me. He'll fulfill His promises He's made to me. And then he sat back and waited for God to do what God said He would do. Now, we came here, I believe, having seen in the Scriptures that God is going to do certain things here in the end time. And then we get in the same position Habakkuk was in, where we say, well, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe we were wrong. Maybe these things aren't going to happen. Why haven't they happened yet? And we can get a little frustrated. We can begin to lose our grip, our focus, our belief, our trust, faith, if you will, that the things are going to happen. And time goes by. Nothing has happened well, I won't say nothing has, but the things that we believe in full will have not all occurred yet. Is it a time then to say, well, this must not be? Or is it the time to say, when God's time is ready, it will happen because it's in His Word. And we trust His Word. Didn't He say that the Word of God, the Word of Christ, uh, is what we live by? That that's what we believe in? And those are the words he inspired in those Old Testament prophecies and New Testament prophecies about what would happen here at the end time. Now, if you look around in the news, you see all those negative things Christ said would happen, happening more and more, earthquakes in different places, wars and rumors of wars, and all that negative stuff. 
people losing faith and not enduring to the end and beginning to beat up on one another and hate one another and and uh, despise one another. Now, he said that would happen. We see that happening all around. But we haven't seen a lot of the positive yet. But the negative has to come before the positive. So, we watch the negative happening, and we have trust and belief, do we not, that if all these negative things that the Bible says are going to happen do happen, that the good part has to come next. So you can even take faith in the evil that is occurring on the earth, in God, that if he predicted the evil and it's happening, he also predicted the good, and it will therefore have to happen as well. If you didn't have those prophecies of evil in the Bible, then how would you know evil was going to come? As I watch the world scene today, I expect evil. I expect bad things to happen. Every time I turn on my computer to check the news, I expect something to have occurred that was bad. Why do I have that worldview? Why don't I look through rose-colored glasses and think that something good must have happened today? It's because I read the Scriptures. It's because I see that evil is going to come before good. And therefore, I trust God in that what He said about the evil is actually happening. So it is, the evil, in some ways, is as much a testimony to God's sovereignty and His truth as is the good. So why would we lose faith when we see evil happening when the good has, I mean, the evil has to precede the good? Because God said so. I know things are not going to straighten up until the beast and the false prophet arise, until this nation is destroyed, until over 90% of the people on the earth are killed, and then good is going to come to the world. Now, he said good will come to a remnant of the church even ahead of that, and those are some of the prophecies that we look to and hope for and wait for. But we have to have faith underlying it that it's actually going to happen. The world does not have that. Let's, uh, let's go on here in verse 17 of Romans 1. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now God has told us what is good and what is righteous in His Word. But the Bible is paid very, very little attention to anymore, and even the ones that do use it don't use much of it. So they lose track of righteousness, and they go into evil and sin, and God is going to bring wrath down because of that. Because that which may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has showed it to them. Now you can even have the truth and be unrighteous. I hope we grasp that. You can understand the truth of God as revealed in the Bible, but you can hold that truth in unrighteousness. Do you have godly attitudes 
the Spirit of God, faith, love, hope, joy, peace, the attributes of the Spirit of God, or are you characterized by selfishness and hate, bitterness, animosity, anger? What do you have? Accusation? You can have truth, but if you don't have righteous attitudes, what do you have? You have condemnation. <laughs> because he who has the truth and does not follow it is in far greater jeopardy than he who does not even have it. <clears throat> they both, both might be <clears throat> breaking all of the laws, both be unrighteous, but God is holding judgment out on those who don't know the truth until millennium or second resurrection. Someone who knows the truth and then lives unrighteously is in deep, deep trouble. Because now is a day of salvation for those who have the truth. So we need to be sure we're not holding it in unrighteousness. Because God has showed us the truth. You can't come to the Father except I mean to the Son except the Spirit of the Father draw him, John six forty four. So he says he's manifested the truth to us. Now let's notice verse twenty. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. If you want a basis, a foundation to believe in God you have to go back to the invisible things from the creation of the world to clearly see. Being understood by the things that are made. Now, the things that occurred back then are invisible to us in the sense of us witnessing them or understanding where they came from or how they were done. Uh, but we look around at what we see. And we understand by what we see, the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, you have a world that does not really believe in God and have all kinds of theories as to how the earth got here and how man got here. Uh, but he says, if you really look at what was made, you have no basis, you have no excuse for saying there is no God. Because, how did the world get the way it is then? Because that when they knew God, when t people in time past knew and understood there was a God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. So they may have known of Him, they may have said we're Christian, but they didn't glorify him as the great creator of heaven and earth and as our Father in heaven and were not thankful for all the things we've been given. Are we in a thankful world today? Unthankfulness is all around us. People don't thank God for the things that we have. Who do they think? Or who do they thank? Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, Toyota... Uh, Lowe's, Home Depot, uh, Target. Well, they don't thank them so much anymore uh, since they started letting men in the women's room. I just read this morning that there was a man arrested for going in a women's restroom and taking pictures. Well, you know, it's already being 
misused, abused, and everything else. So, we're not in a thankful world. We're in a me first, I get it, I deserve it, you give it to me, or else. We are not, as a people, as a, as a population of the earth, a thankful people for the most part. Oh, we, we give some thanks to each other now and then uh, in order to get along with each other to some degree, but generally we're not. We're thankful to the power company for power, for electricity. We're not really thankful to God who made electricity. We forget about God. But became vain in their imaginations. So they imagine all kinds of things, and it's vanity. How long are you going to live on this earth? Well, generally speaking, in our country, you were right, 70 to 80 years, somewhere in there, they expect us to live right now. But we have a very short window of time, don't we? Eternity is forever. But human beings at this time only live roughly 70 years. When God first put us here, man lived up to a thousand years. Uh, and then it was cut to 500, then 250, and finally he said, enough of that, 70 is about all you need on this earth. I can figure you out that quick. So he cut it down to 70. And then it's over. It's finished. doesn't matter what period in history since creation you lived. You only have a certain amount of time. And then what? Is there eternity? Is there a God who can give salvation? You don't think about it as much when you're 14 or 20 as you do when you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. You begin to realize inexorably that the body and the mind is giving out and you've only got so much time left as a human being before you're dust to dust and ash to ash. And you, you begin to think more about... What is coming next? What is there? Your, your immortality you thought you had when you were 20 <laughs> comes down to, I'm very mortal by the time you're 70, 80. And you realize it. Is there anything beyond? It says mankind who doesn't look to God is without excuse. <clears throat> they glorified Him not, but became vain in their imaginations scientists today think they can give us artificial intelligence and, and transplant heads and uh, give us all kinds of new body parts and regenerate them from our own DNA and that they can give us eternal life they've even gone so far some of the wise I put wise in quote unquote and rich on the earth there are people literally who have had their bodies deep frozen in hopes that in the next period of time here they will learn how to create life or restore life so they don't want their body to rot and push up daisies until that science has been accomplished and then they can be thawed out and brought back to life, given life again. Now that's vain imaginations. <laughs> and there are others that are just as bad. They're not quite as uh, dramatic, but pretty vain. It's vain to think that mankind can rule himself and live in peace. 
can't be done. We've got 6,000 years of proving that it can't be done. But people still think in their foolish imaginations, if you'll just vote for me, I'll solve all your problems. Yeah, you will. Sure you will. Till Satan is removed, man's problems have not a whisper of being solved. And human nature that is here will not resolve itself. No matter what laws you make, you know they have hundreds of thousands of laws now. They just keep making law after law after law after law. And is society getting better? No, it's getting worse. Those laws aren't helping, are they? Because people don't follow them, and mankind cannot rule himself. That's a vain imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. Now, foolish is what? It's the opposite of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And foolishness is not having a clue what to do or how to do it or how to go about it. One can lead to success. The other leads to all kinds of problems. So we're in a world that is full of foolishness today. It's not a world that is wise. Some of the smartest men and women on the face of the earth decided that we ought to have nuclear reactors to make electric power for ourselves. So they made nuclear reactors. And then we had Chernobyl, and then we had Fukushima, and we've had, uh, what's the island there, Pittsburgh, where we had trouble on that one. Uh, and there are others that are starting to give them trouble right now. And the, the potentiality of destroying all mankind on earth simply through nuclear power reactors is there. The whole Pacific Ocean is being threatened now by one nuclear reactor failure. People, I mean, animals and fish are dying out and littering our coastlines because of that. Now, that's foolishness. But that was the smartest people on the earth thought that would solve our problem. We'd have more power and we wouldn't have to burn that dirty coal or build dams or whatever if we just use radiation. Well, we are living in a world now that is being destroyed by man's foolish thinking he has all wisdom. And we assume they were smart, that they were wise, didn't we? Why didn't we go out in mass and say nuclear power could kill us all and stop them from doing it? But we didn't. And, that, and you know, even after they've had disasters, they still are building those things. They're all over this country. They're all over the world. We've got lots of them now. Thinking they're wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So they quit worshiping God, didn't give thanks to Him, didn't look to Him, and began to have an image of themselves that they thought was good. We are so smart, and we can rule, and we can do, and we can have a peaceful, utopian world. The smartest, richest people on earth right now are planning to take over the whole earth, kill 90% of us, and have a millennium of peace. That's what they have in their plans. And they think they can do it. 
So now we begin to worship birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And we see that all around us. Now, animals are more important than people. Uh, worshiping Mother Gaia and the, the things that we have on the earth. Now, what, did, what happened then? God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. When you lose a grip on the fact that there's a God who created things, you begin to get utterly perverted. Now, what did God do in the beginning? It says He created the birds, the animals, and He made them male and female, right? And He made male and female to work together to produce more babies and more birdies and more lambs. And now, we're getting so corrupted that we think God made them man, man and man, or male and male, or female and female. We've lost track con totally almost of the fact that there's a God who made things to work. So it's gotten down to the point <clears throat> where they exchange the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creation or the creatures more than the Creator who is blessed forever and then he says, Amen. <laughs> this is the way it is. And for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, lesbianism. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Inconceivable. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat, like AIDS. You, you get what you did. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting or good or profitable. And then he explains the world that you see around us being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, uh, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. That's a pretty good list. And you see it all around you, every one of those things. This is how people live today. People like that are worthy of death, it says in verse 32. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that, that do them. So even if you're not doing all these things up here that it names, you like to watch it on TV or in the movies. <laughs> you know? Horrible, nasty, dirty, filthy stuff. So not having faith, the just shall live by faith. Remember up here in verse 17. Without believing in God, we'd evolve. There is an evolution, but there's devolution. We, we go backward into all this heinous stuff that comes from Satan the devil. And you see those attitudes all around you. You even see them in people who claim to be Christian. And if they claim to be Christian and have these attitudes, backbiters, accusers, and so on that we just read, 
uh, then they're not of God. That's not, that's not godly. That's satanic attitudes. It's not godly attitudes. So we can have the truth, but in unrighteousness. If we have these attitudes of Satan and of evil, wicked man, then we are having, we have truth, but it is in unrighteousness and will do us no good. Now he tells us then that the basis of faith is believing that the Father, through the Son, created this earth and that the wonderful things of God are seen through that which he made. Let's go back to Genesis 1.1. Let's understand the basis of faith. This is what we've been referring to in all these New Testament scriptures. In not the, but a beginning, is better used in the Hebrew, in a beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, there was a point at which he created that which exists in the universe out of nothing. There wasn't anything there, and that's beyond your mind and imagination and mine. I remember you laying out looking at the stars when I was a kid up on top of the haystack where I'd sleep sometimes in the summer. I'd look up at all that, and I would try to imagine how far it went. It goes out past that star and that one. And then my mind couldn't go any further, and I saw it in my mind I would imagine a wall that was the end of it. And then I'd think, well, what's past the wall? <laughs> I mean, it's endless. There is no end. So it's, it's beyond our imagination. Now, it's good for our imagination to sit out and look at the stars and the sun and the moon sometimes, and cogitate on where that came from and why it works the way that it works. Because there we begin to see the works of God. But there was a beginning. We have people who don't believe there's a God because they say that religion requires that the earth was created 6,000 years ago. And how could you have these strata and these fossils and so on that look to be hundreds of millions say, billions of years of age. How can this be? Well, they don't understand the truth of God's religion, and they don't understand the truth of how the earth came to be. How can you have fossils at 10,000 foot elevation above the seas? How could that be? Well, it's all explained to us right here. In a beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Not the original beginning, but a beginning. So there have been different periods of creation, okay? Let's see that. The earth was without form and void. The earth was there, without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's the water. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So all there was visible in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 was water. But it was there. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He saw that light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He called the night day, and the darkness he called night. He'll, in a moment, explain how he did that when he created the sun and the moon. 
in the evening and the morning were the first day. And then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. So there is, it may be that there was a canopy of water above the earth and water on the earth, and that stopped radiation, and people could live a thousand years. Verse 8, And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And then he said, in verse 9, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together to one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So, there was water, and then out of that, he raised up dirt, earth, land, into one place. I think there is quite a bit of evidence that it was indeed only one lump of earth that came up out of the water. One continent, if you will. <clears throat> In the days of Peleg, it says, the earth was divided. Now, it's not talking about dividing man. Man and languages were divided in the days of Nimrod. But the earth, the continent that was, was divided in the days of Peleg. And if you examine the outlines of the continents, you can see how they almost fit together. And if you look at just what's showing, Africa and South America look like they could fit together pretty easily. But if you go to the continental shelves, they're, an, they're a match. <laughs> so uh, they were separated. They were moved apart. And I think that's why you see along the whole west coast, from Alaska down to the tip of southern tip of South America, you have enormous mountain ranges on the, the west coast of, the, of both those continents. And you have some mountains in the middle, and then on, in America, let's say the U.S. itself, you have some mountains not as high near the east coast. Well... If you're pushing part of the land west, what would happen? It would wrinkle up on the west side, might even buckle in the middle, and it would buckle less on the east side, the east coast. But where the greatest friction and the greatest pressure would be would be on the west, and that's where you have the highest mountains. Push a rug. <laughs> You see that wherever there's resistance is where it's going to wrinkle the most. That would be in the front edge that hits something. So, uh, I think God created one piece of land, as it seems to indicate here, that came up out of the water. Well, there's where creation and evolution really shouldn't have an argument. Because it's very, very possible that God allowed, after the first creation of the earth, and he may have made all kinds of dinosaurs and huge beasts and birds and so on that we find fossils of thousands of feet above sea level. And all these shark's teeth and fossils and things you find uh, could have existed on the earth, might have existed for millions and millions of years. Who knows? Hundreds of millions of years. And then with the rebellion of Satan, it was destroyed. Very likely. And so it sat with nothing showing but water, and it could have sat that way for millions, hundreds of millions of years. Sea life could have been there, fossils being deposited, uh, shark's teeth being lost. And then when God raised it here in Genesis 1-1 above the waters, uh, 
those fossils and so and all that stuff would have been elevated, come right up out of the bottom. And then when the earth was divided and it got wrinkled even more, it thrust those things that had been under the seas even higher. So, I, I have no problem believing that uh, God created the earth long, long, long ago and then recreated it here in Genesis 1 and made it more habitable for mankind. Do you think we could have lasted very long in Jurassic Park? <laughs> I don't think so. We were, would have been ill-equipped to do so. Now, he may have allowed some of those creatures to even carry over uh, in this second creation, let's call it. Because we do have mastodons and various animals that uh, are not around today, perhaps unicorns, various things, uh, that they still find. Up in the Arctic, uh, when ice begins to melt under some of those ice caps, they find things eating on them as the ice melts and the flesh appears. So they've been there encased in ice for maybe 6,000 years. And as that ice melts, the, the animals, the predators eat it. It's still good. But maybe at the time of Noah's Ark, God says, well, some of these creatures are a little bigger than I actually want to continue with man. Maybe when they came in two by two, male and female, uh, he didn't cause some of them to come in, <laughs> like saber-toothed tigers and mastodons and some of the things that we find may have been in the second creation but didn't survive Noah's flood. The recreation that occurred here, and he brought the land up out of the water, and uh, they say, well, the earth has to be new because some of these strata were laid fast. There's somebody that has the young earth theory, and they show trees in between different levels of strata. Uh, well, some of that could have happened very rapidly. could have happened in this recreation. Some of it could have even come at the time of Noah's flood, though that wouldn't have been as drastic as the continents being separated, folded and refolded, and strata going back and forth over the top of each other as the violence of moving the continents apart occurred. So a lot of those things that could appear with the earth being young could have occurred during this recreation when all kinds of upheaval occurred. Can you imagine a piece of land as big as all the continents of the earth combined coming up out of the sea and what kind of earthquakes and shaking and rending and tearing and everything else that would have occurred as that, as that happened and then as the continents were separated and the incredible forces that must have been there to cause the upthrust so that you have some mountains 15, 20,000 feet above sea level that which was underwater is suddenly 20,000 feet above water. I don't have a problem with that. Now he says then that what we see around us is how we understand that there is a God. I was watching a lamb being born about midnight last night. And we're lambing right now and kidding with the goats and the sheep. And it, when I see that miracle unfold, I have to realize there's no way <laughs> that that could evolve. Here's this sheep who has been bred male and female. 
And five months later, uh, the results of that begin to appear when she begins to pant and bleat and go into labor. And then you sit there and watch and marvel as she pushes and shoves, and pretty soon a little lamb pops out on the ground. And then Mama gets up almost immediately and turns around and begins licking it. And generally, they start licking the head first. Why don't they lick their tail? Well, they don't breathe through their tail. They breathe, breathe through their nose. And that mother has enough understanding, somehow, some way, to lick their nose clean and their face clean and their head clean and then work on the rest of the body. Now, she'll kind of lick around a little bit all over it, but, but she turns her attention to making sure that baby can breathe and live. How does she know that? It's a dumb sheep. Sheep aren't really known on a scale of intelligence being rated real high. But she knows what to do. And when that baby is born, I mean within seconds or the first minute or two, it begins to struggle and shake and try to get up. Now it knows it needs to be up on its feet. How does it know that? Why doesn't it just lay there like a lump of clay? Immediately begins to struggle to get up. And then when it does get up, which doesn't take very long, real shaky, falls down a few times, and he gets a little stronger as he struggles. And then what does he do? Does he go over and start eating hay? No. Does he go get a drink of water out of the trough? No. He starts butting the wall. He butts mom's front legs. He punches at her. He's looking for something. He is on a quest to find a nipple. Begins to look for a nipple just as soon as he stands up. He knows somehow that mama's front knee isn't going to help him, but he doesn't know where help is going to come from. So he bumps around for a while and pushes and tries to find. And then after a little while, he finally finds mama's back end and finds where to get milk. And then the milk starts flowing into the baby and then the strength gets there and they get warm and they're going to live. How did that evolve? Just how did that evolve? I mean, did the first one have enough sense to know what to look for? What if that one died because it didn't have enough sense? It hadn't evolved far enough. Well, that'd been the end of it. But somehow, every one of them knows. Now, I believe there has to be a God. Somehow, that instinct that these animals have, we call it instinct, that knowledge, that knowing, they haven't been trained. That mother sheep hadn't been to birth classes. She hadn't been told what to do. The baby hadn't been to, to baby classes to find out what to do. They just knew. And it happens with every one of them. I, I watch them. This one knows what to do, and that one knows what to do, and that one knows what to do, and even that one knows what to do. It never fails. It's there. How did it get there? 
Now that's basing your faith, your belief, on something that exists that you can't see. I can't see into that mother's mind or that baby's mind, either one. But just the fact that they go through that every time makes me marvel that a God could have placed within that sheep and made it able to get up and down and eat and do all the things a sheep does and then give birth and know how to take care of that baby. It's a marvel. And we're not even talking about people yet. We're just talking about stupid sheep that know what to do automatically. There begins to be the basis of your faith, that you see God through the things that He has created. You know, people are getting where they don't go out into the creation of God much anymore. They watch the creation of man, whether it be on a computer or on a TV screen or some other screen or whatever. Uh, they look at the things that man does. They don't look at the things that God does. We have a man here who studied bugs, I guess, for a living most of his life. He believes in God. <laughs> All the intricacies and the symbiotic relationships that exist between bugs and animals and plants, is the complexity is unbelievable. When all of the things on this earth have to work together in concert to cause it to be able to survive. And the sun and the moon and the tides and... Uh, I mean, I could go on, well, for days and days uh, with the complexities of things that depend on something else for their livelihood. It couldn't just develop. Somebody had to design it all. Put it together. Make it work. Now when you study that and you combine it with the Word of God, you begin to see that there is a God. Now, if you study all the complexities of nature without the Word of God, then you begin to worship Mother Gaia, the earth itself, because God isn't in the picture. Now, how did the earth develop all these complexities? It didn't. It couldn't. It had to be designed by a mastermind. So God tells us there in Romans 1, if you start letting God out of the picture... You can't even remember what's male and female anymore. That's where it goes. That is beginning to get to the very bottom of the degradation of life on earth. The animals don't go there. Their mind has been programmed a certain way, and that's the way they are. Now, man begins to get perverted. Sodom and Gomorrah was the basest thing that has happened on the earth, and God wiped it out in one fell swoop. And now we see that homosexuality and under, not understanding that God made male and female <clears throat> is becoming mainstream. I mean, it is being pushed left and right. You can't turn on a television without seeing perverted 
people doing perverted things and glorifying perversion. It's all over everywhere. And now we're combining bathrooms and all kinds of things in this nation and, and you can't say anything. If you're a corporate church, you can't even say the things I'm saying today or the government can shut you down. That's why we're not a corporate church. One reason. We're supposed to have freedom of speech, but that's disappearing because perverts are taking over. Well, God says that is when it is getting to the most polluted, worst, perverted thing there is. Is when we leave the creation of God, male and female, and go to female, female, and male, male. That's as bad as it gets. And when it gets that way, God gets ready to pull the trigger. He was ready. He pulled the trigger on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's about to pull the trigger on this world today. Now that we've legalized same-sex marriage, that's pretty much the last straw. You're, you're getting to the end of the rope. He's given us enough rope to hang ourselves, and we are very quickly hanging ourselves. That is a perversion that God cannot abide. It's just beyond His, his ability to mercifully, patiently put up with it. That's, that's, that's the end. Now you go back here, you have a basis. God created everything. He created male and female. He made everything and said, this is good. This is the way it ought to work. But man is perverted, and Satan has perverted things, and he is a pervert. So that's what we have today, and it's about to be dealt with. As I said earlier, the life expectancy of Americans is one to five years, somewhere in that ballpark, before it all comes apart, and Satan and his new world order begin to kill 90% of the population of the earth. And God is allowing it. God is behind it. Because he knows that's the only way he's going to get our attention, get rid of the perversion that there is on the face of this earth, the sin and the sickness and the degradation. Now, will he find faith on the earth? Not very much. Because mankind has become unmoored from Genesis 1 through 3. They don't believe it anymore. And it's getting worse and worse by the day and the week. So we need to go back and be sure that our basis for belief in something higher and better than man and we are is there. And that, it, that there is something in store for us that is better than anything that we'll experience in the 70, 80 years we had on this earth. We better believe it. We better understand it. We better know it so that it can motivate us. So we see... God through that which He has made. Let's not get so sidetracked by the screens that we look at on the earth that we forget what God has made all around us. What do you, what do you learn about God and faith and eternity watching a TV show? If you walk outside and look up at the moon and the stars, that puts you closer to God. Watching a TV doesn't get you a bit closer to God. In fact, it takes you the other direction. Because most, most everything on it is ungodly and headed the wrong direction. Well, let's stop for there today, but understand 
the basis of faith is understanding that the Father and the Son created the earth and the heavens, and it was all good until Satan and man began to pervert it and turn us away from God so that we no longer have faith that there is a God who can create us and improve us to live forever as eternal, immortal beings in peace, safety, and happiness. That we cannot lose sight of. Most of the world has. And there's precious little of it, even in those who understand the truth.